morning. Morning. What is this thing doing? Oh, I didn't even know. Okay. If you have an iPhone, apparently, and you're on stopwatch, and you swipe it to the right, it gets cooler. I just accidentally found that. I was like, how do I get back to normal? Uh, yeah. So, again, good morning. Um, I always feel awkward saying this because, like, I'm not your dad, um, and it seems like a thing a dad or a mom should say, but I'm just so proud of you guys. Um, yeah, just, uh, it's not easy following Jesus. Um, it's not easy going into places that you've never been, and I just hear stories over and over again of people doing things that they've never done before, um, and that the reason they're doing them is just because God asked. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's powerful, it's encouraging for me, um, and I think from the passage that we looked at this morning, we're going to see that was a source of encouragement for Paul as well, um, and we'll, we'll get there in a minute, um, but, and I'm just going to ask you to bear with me this morning, we're, <laughs> I just want to talk for a second about culture, um, you know, what, whether we realize it or not, we're always building culture. We're always producing culture. And so, you know, what I, what I heard a few minutes ago was a culture of saying yes, right? That, that that's one thing that God is doing here is he's, he's building a culture of people who say yes. Um, and so we're, we're always building culture. The, the question is just what, what kind of culture are we building? Because we're either intentionally building a certain kind of culture or we're unintentionally <laughs> what I call like drifting or sliding into what we've always what we've always done, um, and and one of the things I I love about what God's doing here is uh, that we get to experience the body being the body, and the church being the church, and and the church is is the people. It's not a location. It's not a building. It's not the programs. It's it's the people, and so. God's people being God's people and doing God things, God people things, um, yeah, is, is a culture that I think God is, is uh, building here. And, and the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I want to make sure you guys know that this is not a culture of perfection. <laughs> it's not about perfection. It's not about who can do it the best or who can do it right or even if there is a right way of doing it, um, but just that there's a first time of doing it, and that, and that we're offering ourselves to the Lord, and we're just saying, yeah, use, use me, uh, grow me, uh, and, and that's what happens is um, a culture of, of just saying yes and doing is a culture of growth. That's just what happens when you say yes, is you grow. It's what happens when you step into something that you've never done before is, is it's an opportunity for growth. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite questions um, that I'm going to throw out there to you this morning is if, if church were a sport, and I know Billy loves this question because we've <laughs> talked about it before, if, if church were a sport, what would winning look like? church were a sport, what would winning look like? Uh, it's, 
It's a simple question, or at least when you first hear it, you might think that it's simple. <laughs> um, and it's an important question, but, but it's also a, a pretty significant question and a, and a pretty deep question. Uh, and there's so many different ways to come at it. But, but that's one of the questions that we're going to answer today is, what does winning look like? And what does winning look like when it comes to uh, the culture uh, that Jesus intends for his church? So we, we've been in this series in First Thessalonians called This is the Time. Um, and the reason we called it This is the Time uh, is because Paul in this letter talks a lot about the, the time frame that the Thessalonians find themselves in. And, and they're wondering about the return of Jesus and they're wondering about the things that are going on in their lives. And, and, and the point is that the, the time to live <laughs> this life that Christ is calling you to is, is now, that now is the time. Um, and, and so we're in this series called This is the Time. And, and in, in week one, which was basically chapter one, uh, we, we might have called that week, this is God at work, right? We saw how God was at work among the Thessalonians and that it, it, he was at work, Paul said, because of two things, that, that they took the word of God as the word of God, and not the word of men, that, that it had authority in their lives. And the second thing was that they lived out of that conviction. Uh, they, they didn't just feel conviction and let it go. They, they lived from the conviction that they felt of the truth of who God was and what he was calling them to. Um, and so this is the time. Verse Week one could have been, this is God at work. Uh, week two could have been, uh, this is us. Because we were looking at the Apostle Paul and the life he lived as an apostle, as a disciple maker. Uh, and that he lived an example as an example for us of what it means to live a life before God. It was so clear that like everything was between him not just between him and God, but that he understood that his life was being lived out before God. And he was very, very aware of that. And the second thing was that this life that was lived out before God was lived out for others. That wasn't just between him and God, but it was what God was calling him into. And it was this life that was about pouring himself and investing himself and giving himself for others, for their sake, for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, and so we had, this is God at work, uh, this is us, and now this week we call this is winning. <laughs> what, what does winning look like when it comes to church culture? Uh, so, so let me pray for us as we get ready to look at God's word this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for these friends. Uh, thank you for the testimony of what you're doing in their lives. Thank you for the boldness and the conviction that you've given them, the ways that you've gifted them, the things that I hear coming from their hearts, Lord. I just, I know you're at work, and I'm so grateful that you've invited us to join you in those things, that you invite your church, Big C, around the world to in, engage and participate in the things that you are doing, and we're so grateful for that. Uh, we, we just come with open hands this morning and ask that you would teach us something uh, through your word today that we might become something that we were not before. Give us understanding of how you want us to live out our lives so that we can live in that conviction uh, the way the Thessalonians did, the way Paul did, the way so many who have gone before us have done. Uh, 
So give us your truth that we might live in it and, and trust you in it. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read this passage. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. Um, and, and as I do, I want you to listen for a few different pieces in what Paul writes here. I want you to listen for the affection that Paul expresses for the people in Thessalonica. I want you to listen for the concern that he has for them as he writes this letter to them from a distant place. Listen for the joy that he derives from them and from the way they are living out their faith. And listen for the connection that God has built between Paul and between the people in Thessalonica as evidence of of him being at work in, in their lives and among them as a community. Uh, so beginning in chapter 2, verse 17. Paul writes, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, uh, and, and Paul's talking about the fact that he was in Thessalonica, he was, he was making disciples, he was sharing the gospel, and then he had to flee Probably in the middle of the night, he had to flee because the authorities and the Jewish leaders were after him. And so that's what he's talking about when he says uh, that we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time. But he's very specific. He says, We've torn, we are torn away from you in person, but not in heart. But since we were, we've endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. For, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions that you're experiencing. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass, and just as you now know. So for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow, Somehow, the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might turn out to have been in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and, and has brought us the good news of your faithfulness and your love, and he's reported to us that you always remember us kindly, and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress, in all of our affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For, for now, we live if you are standing in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? as we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face, 
and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You know, one of the beauties of 1 Thessalonians and really the reason that we chose this book to go through is, is the imagery that Paul uses of the family of God. As we saw last week in, in chapter 2, uh, in verse 7, Paul uses this imagery of a mother caring for her own children. And he says, that's how we, that's how we were, that's how we cared for you when we were among you. That, that we were so affectionate of you. That, that we desired not just to share the gospel, but our very lives, our very selves, our souls with you, because you'd become very dear to us. So we see this imagery of, of a mother caring for her own children. And then in chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, you know how I was like a father among you. That, that like a father with his children. That, that I encouraged you when you needed encouraging. Uh, I exhorted you and, and pushed you when you needed pushing. Uh, and, and I charged you. Right? I, I, I was clear about what God was calling you to and how he calls us to live. Like, like a father with his children, I was among you. And we, we can feel and sense the genuine love and affection and care that Paul felt for the Thessalonians during his time there. And it's, it's really representative of the giving of himself and, and the investment that Paul had done among them. And, and the bonds that were forged by that giving of himself. And it's so much so that when we, when we come to our passage for today, in chapter 2, verse 17, that very first verse that we read, when Paul says that we were, we were torn away from you, that the language is actually of, of children being ripped away from the family. That, that, that the image that Paul is giving is that, that he was orphaned from them by the persecution that happened, by, by him being forced to flee. And Paul is saying to them, he's saying like, the imagery is, is so powerful to me. Because Paul's saying, during my short time there, it was like, you were family to me. And you guys are all still together. But I'm way over here. And I feel like I've been torn away from my people. And so that's why he says two times, when I could bear it no longer, like when I just couldn't stand it anymore, I had to find out how it was that you were doing And we see that it's not just Paul. That the Thessalonians shared the same care and affection and love for Paul that he did for them. That they were always longing to see him as well. They longed for that reunion together. So what does winning look like? Winning looks like Paul's words in verse 19 of chapter 2. 
when he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? <laughs> you are, what words? You are our glory and joy. And then in verse 9, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? A winning church culture is, is, a, is a culture that's built on the family of God and the relationships that are built within that family. It's people who long to be with one another, who have a genuine care and affection and concern for each other. And, and as Paul does at the end of this passage, who, who lifts the others up in prayer before the Father. How do we know what winning looks like? It's what Paul prays for. And the center of his prayer here is all about their love for one another. That the Lord may make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we do for you. A winning church culture is one that that thrives on the love for God that manifests itself in this genuine love and care and concern for the members of the body that God has brought together. And so that's kind of the what of what does winning look like? What does winning church culture look like? But then Paul also, Paul also gives us some clues into the why. Like, why has God designed his church this way? You know, some of us kind of wish he hadn't. <laughs> some of us kind of wish that, you know, he had designed it where we're all, kind of like you were describing at the beginning of the retreat, right? Where we're all in our little pods, right? And we're doing, we're doing our own thing. And, it, and it's clean because I can control it. And, and it's, I'm, I'm kind of over here on my own. Uh, but that's not how God has designed his family. And so... Why has he done that? Why has he designed it this way, this way that Paul describes? And it's because he knows that it's what we need. <laughs> that, that in this world that we find ourselves in, that, that this is what we need, even if it isn't what we want. We see it in the, the struggle with all of the relational imagery and joy and love and affection, Paul also talks about a very real struggle that the Thessalonians find themselves in, that he finds himself in. And it's an image of life in this world. He talks about distress and affliction and a need to be comforted. He talks about things that they find lacking in their faith and that they're in need of someone like Timothy or someone like Paul to come along and encourage them and shore them up. And so it's these afflictions, it's this struggle. But he's also clear that there's just flat out opposition as well. You know, when Paul's talking about how badly he wants to come and visit the Thessalonians again, that he might encourage them. He says, I tried. <laughs> I tried again and again. But Satan hindered me. 
Not sure what that was. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us. But Paul had a really clear sense that, that he was trying to go this way and something was hindering him. Something was blocking him. Something was holding him back. And then when he talks about the Thessalonians and his concern for them, he says that he was afraid. And what was he afraid of? That maybe the tempter had tempted them. Uh, that maybe the discourager had discouraged them. Uh, that maybe the defeater had defeated them. And that all that labor, all that love, all of that time they put in together would turn out to be in vain. You know, it's interesting, when I saw that language this past week, I just had to wonder, it sounded a lot like Jesus' time of temptation in the desert. Right? That, that he was led up at the beginning of his ministry, that the Holy Spirit led him into the desert uh, to be tempted. And as I looked back uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, I saw that all this exact same language is there that Paul's talking about here. Satan is mentioned. He's described as the tempter. His activity is described as tempting. And, and what was he trying to do with Jesus there? The same thing that he tries to do with us here. To get us to abandon the hard road of faithfulness. That's his strategy. <laughs> to bring discouragement. To bring difficulty. To bring opposition. So that we'll abandon the road that God is calling us to. Thank God that Jesus did not abandon that road. And thank God that he's designed the family of God to be the means by which in so many times, in so many circumstances, he keeps us on the road. Why has God designed his church this way? Because it's what we need because of the distress, because of the afflictions that we will face in this life, because of opposition against us. That we, in a very real sense, in a very practical sense, we need one another. That, that I, by myself, am insufficient. Not only to be who God's calling me to be, but to do what he's calling me to do. And, and you are insufficient in and of yourself, apart from the family of God, to be who he's created you to be and to do all that he has for you. And I think sometimes we're tempted to think that, well, but maybe with my family, we're sufficient. <laughs> but my family is not sufficient to become all that God is calling us to become apart from your family, apart from his family. That my marriage cannot be what my marriage needs to be without, and it would not be what it is today without the family of God, the way that he has designed it. Of, of women coming along and nurturing other women as mothers care for their own children. As men coming alongside other men like fathers and encouraging them and exhorting them and pressing them on. With no agenda other than the best that God has for each one of us. 
that, that none of us abandon the hard road of faith because we think we're alone on it. But that everywhere we turn, we find a brother and a sister. That every time we need one, we find a mother and a father. And that because of the way that God has designed his family, that I am not alone. That my family is not alone. So we've seen the what. (laughs) What does winning look like when it comes to the family of God? And we've seen the why. What's the how? How do we how do we be this? How do we live this? How do we become this? You know, it doesn't just happen. Paul doesn't write to the Thessalonians and say, you know how it just happened <laughs> that we became so affectionate of each other. You remember how when we first met, it was love at first sight. He doesn't say anything like that. He's very clear that that the reason that the reason that things are the way they are and that they feel for each other the way they feel for each other is because of how intentionally Paul and Timothy and Silas poured into them. He, He describes it as laboring night and day so as to never be a burden like being a mother, like being a father. And I think, it's, I think it's tied to and connected to what I've heard referred to before as the treasure principle. Why did Paul treasure the Thessalonians so much? And why did they treasure him the way they treasured him? Well, Jesus told us, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Your heart follows your treasure. And so Paul took some of his treasure. He took some of his himself and he gave it to others. And as he took from his treasure and gave it to someone else, they became his treasure. That's why he says, you are our glory and joy. Because we took what God was giving us and we gave it to you. And now nothing pleases us more than to see you grow and to see you flourish and to see you stand steadfast. So how do we become? How do we live this? We do what Paul did. We take of ourselves and we give it to others. Our treasure. It's our time. It's our self. It's our life. I think it was John that was talking in our small group. What did it look like for Paul to give of himself to them? What was in the sharing of all that God had done in his life? To sit and listen to Paul's stories about what God had done. They knew he was pouring into them. They knew that he was investing and that he was invested 
And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. It can be costly. Right? We're, we're always making choices. What am I gonna do with my time? What am I gonna do with my treasure? And so living this out, taking of yourself and giving it to others is costly. But I always come back to uh, what Oswald Chambers said one time. And he said, everything worth having is expensive. Everything worth having is expensive. The question is, what's worth having? The question is, what's worth This is worth having. Living in such a way to pursue all that God has for you and for others is worth having. You know, I think sometimes, well, we're just cautious people. We just are. We're just cautious people. And, and so we, we like to approach something and, and to test it out. We want to put one foot in and see what it's like. And if it doesn't do everything that we were hoping it would do, then the foot comes back. But the thing with things that God is calling you to is that the 20% thing doesn't work. The 20% thing isn't where it's at. You only find and discover what God is talking about. You only experience the body of Christ the way he has designed it. When you leave your 20% tendency behind. And you realize that it's going to take all of you. That it's really going to take all of you. And it starts with conviction. And a recognition. That I'm insufficient. In and of myself. I just am. I always will be without others alongside me. And I mean close. <laughs> I mean real close alongside me. It starts with the recognition that I'm insufficient. That, that all the other things that I try to surround myself with have to protect me, to serve me, are insufficient too, apart from him and apart from his family. And so it about surrender. God, am I really willing to give you all that I have so that I can finally receive all that you have for me? Everything worth having is a 
expensive? The question is, what's worth having? <laughs>